Good morning. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, we're coming up on the last couple of lessons to the book of Galatians. Hopefully it's been a good study for each of you. We're going to read Galatians 5, 1 through 5, and then verses 13 and 14. So Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, 13 and 14. I'll be reading from New American Standard Bible. Verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. Verse 13. So you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that we would be a church ready for your coming. Showing forth uh, the Lord Jesus. And so we pray as we open your word and these words that Paul, by your spirit, wrote uh, to the Galatians uh, so many years ago, but still are um, applicable to us today. We pray that you would, by your spirit, speak to our hearts. So we ask for your blessing. We ask for you to speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. We're calling this one Freedom, the False and the True. We're going to deal with the second attack on Christian liberty that Paul's going to talk about. And then we're going to talk about how this freedom works out in our lives that Paul's been addressing. But let's do a, a brief review. Chapters 1 and 2 are biographical. Uh, Paul talks about his life and shows that his gospel was revealed to him by Christ, not by man. Chapters 3 and 4 are doctrinal. And show that the law cannot justify, it can only condemn. Justification is by faith in Christ alone. And chapters 5 and 6 are practical. They are about the power of the gospel to change lives. That's called sanctification. And in verses uh, 1 through 12 that we looked at last week, we showed that the isms, here in this case Judaism, but it could as easily be Gnosticism, modernism, or legalism cannot satisfy because they focus on the external rules and human efforts instead of on Christ, his spirit, and faith. Um, talking to some afterwards said, uh, could you clarify some things that you said last week? So we're going to do a little bit of a review. We mentioned that uh, sanctification, to sanctify means to set apart, uh, to make holy, their sanctification by the work of Christ, which is eternal and positional. Uh, this is that sanctification that sets us apart for God's use in Christ. As God sees us, we are holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That's how God sees us, because of the work of Christ. Then we have sanctification by the Spirit, 
which is internal. This is something the believer experiences, the convicting of sin. Uh, this, the Spirit of God does that internally. We, we don't know that that's happening. Uh, the work of the Spirit in, in saying we are the sons of God, so we cry, Abba, Father. That's uh, sanctification on the inside. And then sanctification by the Word of God is external. This is where... Um, the word of God, the spirit takes the word of God and begins to change us on the outside so that we grow in holiness. Our lives become more obedient to the word and the world sees that. The danger of legalism, and, and I hope as we go through this, you can hear the pain in, in Paul's voice, in, in Paul's words, uh, because he's in anguish over these Galatians. Um, he said, if you receive circumcision, and, and he's not talking about just the act of circumcision. Receiving circumcision for the Galatians means that they had been uh, convinced by the Judaizers that the, the way to please God, the way to be right with God, the way to be really spiritual was to come under the whole uh, Judaistic system. Um, now, Paul... It's not talking to unbelievers here. There may be a few unbelievers uh, in, in that congregation that are thinking about going to the law to obtain salvation, but he's really talking about Christians here, those who have received Christ. He's not talking about losing their salvation. He's talking about the effects of trying to live the Christian life on our own to please God out of our human efforts. Um, by keeping the law. And notice what he says. He says, Christ will be of no benefit to you. The Judaizers wanted the Galatian believers to believe that they were missing something, that they would be more spiritual and more acceptable to God if they would come and begin to keep the law. And, and Paul says, listen, um, the believer has spiritual riches in Christ. Um, and if you go back to the law and seek by keeping the law to be right with God, it robs you of these riches that are in Christ, of right standing before God, of being righteous, of, of the freedom to come into God's presence and call him Abba Father, because now you're, you're not uh, coming to Christ. You're focused on the law and your external um, work. In um, Warren Wiersbe's commentary on Ephesians, the first uh, section of Ephesians deals with our, our riches in Christ. And he, he gives the example of a woman by the name of Hetty Green. Hetty Green lived in the late 1800s, early 1900s, she died in 1916. When she died, she left an estate of $100 million. To give you an idea, that's $2.8 billion worth of purchasing power today. Yet she was so convinced that she was poor that she wouldn't even heat up her oatmeal. She ate her oatmeal cold every day because she didn't want to spend that money. She, her son got a wound in his leg, and she spent so much time trying to find a free clinic for him that his leg eventually got gangrene and had to be amputated. Even though she was fabulously wealthy, she lived in abject poverty. 
And Paul says, if you want to try to check the boxes, if you want to follow the isms out there that focus on your efforts and external rules, you're going to live a life of absolute poverty, spiritual poverty, because you're turning away from, by faith, accessing all the benefits that Christ has given us. He goes on, you're under the obligation to keep the whole law. Paul already showed in Galatians 3.10 that those who choose the works of the law as a way of satisfying God's expectations are required to keep the whole law or being condemned, and there's a curse with that. The law cannot justify. The law can only condemn. He goes on, you've been severed from Christ. In John 15, the Lord Jesus used the example of himself as the vine and the believers as the branches. Life and vitality flows from Christ as believers abide or remain in their relationship with Christ, dependent on Christ. To seek spiritual life and vitality through rule-keeping by fleshly strength robs the believer of its true source of strength and life. Turn back to Galatians chapter 2 again in verse 20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. He says, listen, the real life is Christ living in me. And that happens when I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He ends this section by saying, you have fallen from grace. As we pointed out last week, the word fallen is used in Acts 27 to describe a ship not under control. As Paul asked the Galatians in Galatians 3.3, having begun in the spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? And the answer is no. We are to grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the knowledge of him. As we understand the grace of God better and it makes us more dependent on Christ, we begin to grow to be like Christ, to, to fall back into the isms. And here's this list of external rules, and it, I'm doing it in my flesh. It robs me of these things. And it grieves the heart of Paul to think of uh, what's going on in Galatia. And so we had that verse 5 of chapter 5. For we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. Here you can see the contrast clearly. We through the Spirit, not through our efforts, through the working of the Spirit in our lives. How does that occur? By faith. By trusting the work and promises of Christ. We eagerly await. We have confidence in the promises of Christ that we will have the hope of righteousness. What is that hope of righteousness? Well, as we saw last week, it is that day that I will be in my glorified body and there will be a public acknowledgement before the whole world that I am totally acceptable to God as God presents us holy and blameless and without reproach. Not because of us, but because of Christ. And, and so Paul is wrestling with these Galatians, you're going to rob yourselves. You're going to lose the riches. You're going to live in poverty. 
and the world's going to see it. And the church is doing the same thing today. Now Paul's going to move. Oh, we looked at one last thing. Uh, Martin Luther said the epistle of Galatians is my epistle. Uh, because he could relate so much to this, he had come out of bondage into this freedom. Um, and he made this statement, sinners are not attractive people who are loved by God. That's what the Judaizers were saying. Make yourself attractive. Keep the law. Try to please God, and you'll be attractive to God, and God will love you and be pleased with you and accept you. No, sinners are not um, attractive people who are loved by God. They are loved by God, and then they are attractive because of the work of God. I have a friend who works for a, a campus group. He's the executive director of evangelism for for this group, and they're working with how to reach the, what is it, Gen Z uh, generation. And so they're trying different methods of evangelism. One that they've been trying more recently, he wrote uh, in a newsletter about, it's called the KSL evangelism. You are known. You're not a cipher. You're not a face in the crowd. God knows you intimately. You are seen. God sees you. And you are loved. God loves you. And he wants you to come to him. You don't have to fix yourself up. You don't have to keep a bunch of rules to make yourself attractive to God. God already knows you. God already sees you. God already loves you. And he invites you to come to him. Lastly, last week we ended with some signs of a legalistic spirit. Subtle spiritual pride begins to look at yourself. Well, I'm doing all these things. and You're only doing 15 boxes? Well, I do 25. Um, a critical spirit that looks at others critically because they're not living up to your list. Lowered standards of conduct excused. A hypocrisy, where you don't quite really live up to what you're saying, but you give the outward appearance. Seeking uniformity rather than unity. I just want everybody to live this way. I don't care what's inside. I don't care that they've come to this unity of the spirit where we're all of the same mind. We're all living with the same purpose in mind. No, I just want uniformity. And, and they're marked by shipwrecks. People try to live this way, and they can't do it, and they fail. And they come to the conclusion God's word isn't true because they're trying to do something that's impossible. And you see these people walk away from the faith. Well, there's another enemy, another danger to our freedom, that Paul talks about. He says in verse 18, you were called to freedom. Again, he states Christ's purpose that believers would be free, free from the bondage of sin and guilt, free to serve God and their fellow man. 
God wants to make us free to do things we could not do as sinners, to, to free us from uh, the consequences and, and the bondage of sin. But he goes on, for you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity of the flesh. Paul brings up this second danger, which is license. License is a misuse of freedom. It's saying, I'm free, and so I can do whatever I want. And, and you begin to do things. This, this word translated opportunity in, in the New American Standard Bible and uh, occasion in the King James Version has the idea of a base of operations, a foothold. In war, the enemy attacks, and what it wants to gain is a foothold. My dad was a Marine in World War II and South Pacific, and when they would attack Iwo Jima or Guadalcanal, they would send the Marines in, wave after wave after wave. And, and I remember dad saying sometimes 80% of his outfit got wiped out. What were they trying to do? Give us enough of the beach that we can bring in the tanks, we can bring in the rest, and then we'll, we'll conquer the island. And Paul says, your freedom if misused, will open the door for sin to bring you back into bondage. A number of times we've sent from this platform, sin always takes you farther than you want to go. Sin always costs you more than you want to pay. And sin always keeps you longer than you want to stay. But it never is that way in the beginning. It just appears to give you take give a little bit but it's a foothold in your life to bring you to bondage so how do you deal with that he goes on but through love serve one another this this word serve is a word that indicates continual serving of others it is a bondage in a sense we are slaves to be served others the focus is not me. The legalist focuses on himself. What am I doing? I'm doing all this. The, the person involved in license is focusing on himself. What freedoms do I have? The person controlled by the Spirit is focused on others. How can I minister to those around me? And so he says um, that we are to serve one another um, through love. Uh, the key is love. Love produced by the indwelling spirit, not this, oh, you know, it's not, I got to love these people and I'm going to love these people till it kills them or me. No. This is the spirit of God producing love that overflows. Romans 5, 1 uh, talks about that. He goes on. Um, love actually fulfills, look at verse 4, 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in this statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Um, love actually fulfills all the desires of the law, which we cannot do in the flesh, um, which the Lord summed up as you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you love... The love of God 
by the Spirit in your life, not that that flows out of fleshly efforts, you will fulfill all the law. You don't have to worry about, well, what's my checklist? No, you will fulfill all the law. He goes on, verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. You know, legalism and license bring chaos, bitter strife, jealousy, slander. It's vividly pictured by biting and devouring one another as, as people argue over their freedoms and, and what they can do and what they can't do and, and the list of things and why aren't you doing all these things that are on my list and they begin to fight and have strife. And you know what happens? He says, eventually, you'll end up consuming one another. The Christians lose their testimonies. The church loses its testimony and their ability to effectively communicate the gospel ends. And Paul's looking at Galatia. This place, when he left, they were excited about, about serving the Lord. They were excited about sharing their faith, even in persecution. And the deadness of license and liberty is coming in. Love is the key to effective service and to the protection of the church and the believer against the inroads of division and strife. Martin Luther preached justification by faith and the freedom it brought. And some of the people of his day, uh, some of the peasants that were really, taxes were high, the peasants were really poorly treated, they began to say, hey, we're free. We don't have to work for you people. In fact, they would actually rob the rich and some of the, the people who were over them. Some of them even killed them. And when they were arrested, they said, we can do this because we have Christian freedom. And they came to Martin Luther. And Martin Luther said, Christian freedom exists only within the boundaries of love. Christians could do as they pleased, but only if their actions and motives are bounded by love for God and their fellow men. Love is the boundary. That's when you know you've stepped over into license or you've stepped over into legalism. Love is the key that, that sets it. So Paul sa says, listen, how do you do this? How do you live free? Look at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so you may not do the things you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. How do you walk by, how do you live free? How do you live in this freedom that doesn't slide over into a misuse of it to license and it doesn't slide over into boundary of external rule keeping, but you live in this freedom that Christ bought for us with his blood at the cross so that we're separated to God, we can serve God, and God can work in our lives to produce Christ-likeness. Well, you walk by the Spirit. You let the Spirit control how you live. This is the meaning of the command to be filled with the Spirit. 
When the believer submits his will to the control of the spirit instead of the desires of his sinful nature, the flesh, he will walk in the freedom of the sons of God. But the spirit does not operate automatically in a believer's life. He waits to be depended on when the Christian yields to his control. You know, when you were first saved, you were filled with the Spirit. The moment you were saved, you were filled with the Spirit. And that continues until you stop yielding to the Spirit. The Spirit is, is um, grieved when I sin. And the Spirit comes to me and says, no, George, that action isn't right. That action isn't Christ-like. Come to me. Admit it's wrong. Admit that that's not how you want to live. And then let me work in your life to change your life so that that's not part of your life. Or the Spirit's quenched. George, I want you to do this. No, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. That's hard. That's going to be difficult. That's going to be humbling. And I quench the Spirit's working in my life. And the Spirit doesn't have control. Who has control? My sinful self. And every day, we make decisions. Who's going to control my life today? Am I going to be obedient to the Spirit, the Word of God, as the Spirit uses it in my life? Or am I going to do what I want to do? Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And that's the choice. I think of the, the guy who, who prayed, Lord, I thank you today. I've not lost my temper once. I've not had an a, a angry thought to any other person. I've, I've not said anything wrong, but I'm about to get out of bed. <laughs> and that's how it is, isn't it? And then we get out of bed. And who's going to control when I speak? Who's going to control what I do? How I act? And so Paul says, um, he says, if you yield to the Spirit, notice what he says. But I say, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Um, you will not carry out the desires of, of this sin nature that we inherit from, from Adam. He goes on, he says, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so you may not do the things you please. Uh, the flesh is that sinful nature we received at birth, inherited from Adam. Um, God gives us a new nature when when we get saved, which desires holiness. We have to understand that the flesh is sinful. It always tends towards sin, and it cannot be changed. Okay? You can't uh, reform the flesh. It, it just cannot be changed. The spirit is in opposition, or the flesh is in opposition to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so he says it's the result that we often do not do what our heart desires. What we would otherwise 
as Christians really want to do. I don't want to lose my temper. I don't want to say inappropriate things. I do want to display the life of Christ. And I don't. Because there's a war going on inside me. Someone that says, like, two dogs fighting, which one do you feed? The one you feed is going to be the one that wins. Do I get in the word of God, let God speak to me? Do I um, confess my sin when the Spirit brings him to my mind? Do I ask for the Spirit's help in areas of my life? The Spirit doesn't act automatically. He's, he's a gracious gentleman. He waits to be invited. And, and so there's this war that goes on. But when the Holy Spirit is allowed to, he blocks these evil cravings of the flesh. He, he gives us help to overcome them. So in verse 18, Paul sums it up. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The godly life is not lived by rules of the law, but it is a life led by the Spirit. Sanctification does not mean that a Christian is totally passive in both salvation and sanctification. Uh, sanctification a response of faith is necessary. If you want to be saved, you have to have a Faith in Christ and receive Christ. If you want sanctification, you have to have faith in the promises of God about the work of the Spirit uh, in your life, and you have to submit to the Spirit. You know, in, in the book of Acts, you'll find men who are described as filled with the Spirit, and, and it describes their actions. And you'll find men who are, and women who are described as full of the Spirit, they have been filled with the Spirit over a period of time. Their life is now characterized as being full of the Spirit. The Spirit is in control of their actions. Barnabas was a man like that. And that's what God wants for us. Well, is it really that important? So he talks about if you want to live the flesh life. He says, here are 16 characteristics that will be true of your life. Now, these aren't the only ones. Notice what he says there in verse 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. And at the end, he says, um, and things like these. So these 16 aren't the only one. But here's a, a real good uh, set of what you see in people who whose life are, are marked by control by the, the sin nature. Uh, there are four categories. The first deals with sexual sins. Verse 19, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality. Here, here are three. Uh, immorality is the general word. It's porneia. We get the word pornography from it. It's a general term for any kind of wrong sexual relationship. Uh, Impurity is defilement, moral defilement in thought, in word, or in action. And sensuality has the idea of a public display that doesn't care uh, about um, what people think. It's an open, shameless display 
of, of sexual sin. Then he turns to two false religious sins. Um, he goes on, idolatry and sorcery. Idolatry is the worship of false gods. Ezekiel 14 talks about idols of the heart. We don't have physical idols in this land, but we have idols like greed. We have idols like other things in, in this land. Sorcery, we get the word pharmacy from it. It is uh, worship of evil powers accompanied by the use of drugs. Twice it's mentioned in the book of Revelation as being true of that time period. And certainly um, that's evident in our world today. Then he turns to eight societal sins. Enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissension, factions, envying. Enmities are, or hatred, it's in the plural. It is enmity, hatred between groups of people where they're enemies. Strife is uh, the, the discord, the, the strife that comes um, between groups of people because of those enmities. Jealousy is the idea of rivalry, concern for personal advancement. Outbursts of anger, it's, again, it's in the plural. Repeated displays of fits of rage. Disputes, displays of selfishness, selfish ambition. Dissensions, divisions from personal conflict. Factions, the groups that form from those dissensions. Envyings, personal animosities. Jealousy and envying are often uh, connected. Jealousy is the envy that casts grudging looks. This word, envyings, is the envy that produces hostile deeds. Does that sound like our world? Divisions, hatreds between groups of people, people out to get what they can get, uh, selfish ambition, rivalry, causing personal conflict that breaks into groups my daughter did her master's paper on envy and uh, the role of social media in envy today. So-and-so, oh, look at the life they, they have on Facebook. And there's envy over that lifestyle that may or may not be real. And uh, hostile feelings. Then there are two sins associated with alcohol. Drunkenness, excessive drinking to intoxication, and carousing, drunken celebrations, often accompanied by idolatry and sexual sins. And notice what he says at the end. And things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you have a person, and it's possible for Christians to slip back into some of those things. But if you have a person and these kinds of things characterize their lives, Paul says, put a big question mark behind their profession. Because these are people controlled by the flesh. And I warn you. And then he comes to the other side, the spirit-filled life. What's the spirit-filled life like? He makes a pointed contrast, but the fruit of the spirit. Um, 
it was the works of the flesh that flow out of their actions. Uh, here, the fruit of the Spirit is not produced by the believer, but by the Spirit um, working in a, in a Christian who's abiding in union with Christ. Love. Self-sacrificing love. It seeks the highest good of its object and does not cease or change even when rebuffed. Joy. This is the only appearance of this word in Galatians. It enables believers to rejoice in all circumstances of life. We talked earlier uh, under the blessings of Abraham that there's a connection between blessings and joy. In fact, one of the songs we sang um, at the breaking of bread talked about blessings and joy in his presence. And as we focus on our blessings, as we focus on our riches in Christ, it brings joy that even though if our circumstances are not good, there's joy. Peace, the tranquility that encourages and stabilizes the believer's heart. It's an inner confidence that our needs will never be greater than God's supply. Patience, long-suffering, forbearance under provocation, which does not retaliate or lash out. So I'm in a difficult circumstances with difficult people, and God gives me the ability to show forbearance, putting up with that in love. Kindness, a gracious attitude uh, and acts towards other people. Faithfulness, reliable, trustworthy. Gentleness, sometimes translated meekness. This word doesn't have a, an equivalent in English. It has two ideas. Uh, the idea of strength under control and consideration and gentleness in ministering to others. So you have the strength to really deal with them, but instead you show consideration and gentleness to them because your strength is under control. Moses is a, an example of that. And then lastly, self-control. Uh, this is the only place where the noun form is found in the scriptures. It is the ability to hold oneself in check, self-mastery, self-restraint, self-discipline. Which roof would you rather live under? Works of the flesh or fruit of the spirit? He, says, he goes on and says, such, against such things there is no law. These aren't the only fruit of the spirit. There are others, but he's listed these nine. Nobody would make a law saying, you love people too much. Stop it. You are just too joyful. Knock it off. No, they don't make laws against those kinds of things. We make laws against the other things to protect other people, to protect society. How does this happen? Again, verse 24. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Um, I am crucified with Christ. And my old sin nature was nailed to that cross. He's under the judgment of God. Now, he's still present in my life, but he has no authority because I have been set free from the bondage of sin. 
I now have the Holy Spirit dwelling within me who gives me the power to make a different choice. And so I have to recognize, you know, one of the things about crucifixion, Herod sometimes would do this. He, he would have a man crucified and then he would bring the, the man's family in and he would kill um, the family in front of the man who was crucified. Because the only thing the man could do was scream at him. But he was dying. And he couldn't, he was powerless to do anything to Herod. Our flesh shouts to us. But Christians who walk by the Spirit have said, listen, I'm crucified with Christ. My sin nature with his passions and desires has been crucified uh, with him. And it has no power to affect my life. I choose to live differently. I choose to submit to the Spirit. I choose to yield to the Spirit. So Paul said to the Roman believers, consider yourselves dead to sin. And it's only when we fail to listen to the Spirit and we listen to the flesh that, that we uh, end up in trouble and fall into the works of the flesh. Paul's going to end with two let us. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Since it is the Spirit of God, and that word if has the idea of since, it's assumed to be tree, uh, true, he says, since you got spiritual life, what are you spiritually alive? Have, have you received eternal life in Jesus Christ? If you've received that by the Spirit, then, and this is a different word for walk. It means to line up with, to line up with this truth. It's used over in chapter 6, verse 16, where it says, and those who will walk by this rule, who line up with this rule, so I say, listen, the Spirit's given me life. I have eternal life. You know what? I'm going to walk in line with that truth. And those, uh, he says, those who really realize that the Spirit has given them life, let us walk by the Spirit. And then in verse 26, he takes another let us. Let us not become boastful. Empty conceit. The legalist has empty conceit. <laughs> Look at the list I'm keeping. You're not doing that. The person in license has empty conceit. I have these freedoms. You ought to do what I'm doing. Look at all the freedoms I have. The one provokes. How come you don't do what I'm doing? When I was in Bible college... I was in a Bible study. A couple had gotten married over the summer, and they had a, an apartment off campus. And uh, they had discovered the liberty of drinking wine. And so we would go over to Bible study, and, and they would say, you need to drink wine. And I would say, I'm a, I'm a Coke man. <laughs> now Diet Coke. Um, and they, they, every week I'd show up, they would have a different kind of wine. They'd try this one. This one's a sweet wine. You didn't like that one. And I would take a sip. I'd say, I don't like this. And finally I said to them, why can't I have the freedom to drink my Coke? I don't question your freedom to do the other. See, people who are in license don't feel comfortable. 
if people aren't doing what they're doing. They provoke. And on the other side, the legalists envy. In their, heart, in their sinful nature, they really wish they could do what that person's doing, but their conscience bothers them. He said, listen, don't live that way. Don't be provoking. Don't be envying. Don't be filled with empty conceit. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Two questions as we end. Are you living a Spirit-controlled life? Would those who know you best say you're living a spirit-controlled life? God wants us to display Christ-likeness, and it only happens as we are filled with the Spirit of God and we walk every day, uh, like Doug Dunkerton's, breathing in the Word of God, breathing in the strength and, and breathing out in prayer and breathing out the life that God wants us to live. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that your son bought us freedom. We would have to live in the works of the flesh except for his great love for us in going to the cross. And now he's opened a door of freedom. Help us not be duped by the evil one. Lord, help us to find that uh, still small voice of your spirit in our lives. Help us to be responsive when he points out sin, that we are quick to deal with it. Help us to be willing to follow his leading, even if it means uh, difficult steps. Lord, let us be a, individuals in a church that display your son. Because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.